Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi, it's Glenn James. This message is being played at the start of all podcasts that Simo Interactive produces. It has come to my attention that there was a licensing issue with the music that we were using for our shows. And until that issue is resolved, and it might take a couple of weeks because I'm overseas at the moment, I've just decided out of an abundance of caution, I would stop using any music until we've resolved the issue. So if you are new to the podcast, you probably won't notice anything different. If it's not your first time, this is why there is no music in the episodes at this time. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the episode. So you want to start a business? Well... You'll be very encouraged with this episode. I'm talking with Glenn Smith. He started a business with a business partner just under six years ago. And we're going to talk about having a business partner, growing the team, staff, capital expenses. Do we get a business coach? How do we manage people? How do we keep a standard across the business when we've got so many different people? How do we afford to pay for stock? All the things that you need to know. If you want to start a business, if you've got a business and you're feeling a bit scrappy and you want to be encouraged, well, strap in. We're talking with Glenn Smith from Perth City Air. My name's Glenn James, and this is My Millennial Money with a special My Millennial Business episode. Let's get it on. Glenn Smith, welcome to My Millennial Money. It's good to see you again. Thanks for having me, Glenn. I've had uh, you and your wife on the podcast now, so have had that? my wonderful wife on the podcast uh, at some time ago, I believe. Yeah, talking shop. Can yes. everyone guess who Glenn's wife is? You probably can't. Um, <laughs> if you are running, Alicia Aiken Radburn, she's been on the podcast before. We've had a lot of fun. But now we are talking with Glenn about his business, his journey, his story. So what I like to do, Glenn, is let's just talk right now, this second, today. What's the business? What do you do? Who's in your t- and who's in your team? Um, yeah, so I'm from Perth, Western Australia, and my business is called Perth City Air. Pretty self-explanatory. I'm an run an air conditioning business, so we do everything air conditioning from residential, commercial, new installations, service maintenance and repairs, and yeah, everything in the Perth metro area. And yeah, I've got a team of 13 now um, with my business partner. So yeah, it's been a nice little slow growth over the few years. Yeah. And what were you doing before uh, you started the business, you know, say six years ago? Yeah. So six years ago, um, I've been in the industry from 17. So I started as an apprentice at an air conditioning company at 17 and yeah, worked my way through. I actually worked at the same company for 13 years before I started my own business. So I, um, I worked as an apprentice and then a supervisor and then went into a management role um, before starting the business. And there's some gold there, like if someone is listening, wanting to do their own business one day, like you put in the time in someone else's business and really knew how the business operated from every area, from like an apprentice where you're doing maybe some low value stuff right through the chain, right? 
And and that's, you know, that's what gave me the confidence. You know, I was 31 when I started the business. And, you know, in my 20s, I had no ambition to start a business, but I slowly, you know, um, leapfrogged up the chain at my other company and learned, learned all the aspects of how they did it. They were a big company and I got all the tools that, you know, they taught me and, and put it into starting my business. So you, you've said you got a business partner 50-50. How did you form that business relationship? Was it someone else in the industry or someone else who had other skills and you knew them? How did that come about? Yeah, so we, Mark, my business partner, we worked together for about six years. And yeah, we worked in the same office. We actually shared an office for a period of time. And and it was that thing, you know, Friday afternoon beers, you know, you're having a chat, you're like, we can, we could do this. You know, we've both got a skill set each and the conversation probably started, you know, two or three years before we actually started and it just festered over a, a long period of time and we were like, and, and then we just decided to do it. Mm. And in terms of the business structure, is it a proprietary limited company? Is it a trust, unit trust? Is it yeah, partnership? Yeah, so we, we both have um, our own trusts and it's a, um, yeah, a full company. So your family trusts own the shares in the company? Correct, yeah, that's yeah, right. Awesome, yeah, sweet. And what, like... Before we hit go, like you were telling us, you know, Perth's heating up as we speak at the time of recording and, you know, you you solely do air. Does your business partner have, like, what is his different skill sets to you, would you say? So his skill sets were like supervising bigger projects and, and then also um, he, he moved into like selling those um, big projects like quoting and and going out and finding them. So that was his skill set. And my background was actually like service and maintenance, like commercial and residential service. So like, you know, maintenance contracts, all that kind of thing. So we both had these different areas of the air conditioning field and we've definitely pulled them together. And, you know, um, that's how we sort of have our different revenue streams in in the business. We don't just do one, one little aspect. After uh, joining the company and starting, how long was it until your first hire and who was that? Yeah, so it, it took a while. Those first two years were were tough. They, um, you know, and you know, you know, they're tough. You, everyone tells you, but I don't think anything can, can really prepare when you're in the trenches. So we were two guys who I think Mark had been off the tools for about six years and I had been off the tools for about three years and then we started the business and had to go back onto the tools, which was, it was pretty hilarious to be honest. It was like dumb and dumber following each other around site for a while there. Um, you know, um, you have to relearn all that, you know, picking up a tool again. Um, but it took, our first hire was probably two years in and that was an admin um, to just take that, we, you know, answering the phone on site, doing all those things. Like I, it was just hard work. You know, you, you've got a pair of pliers in your hand and you got your phone in in the other, um, you know, trying to book work. So that was our first hire. It was two years in, a part-time admin was the, you know, the best thing we ever did. Yeah. And I reckon you're onto something there because I tell like, every small business kind of solopreneur when I can, it's like your first hire needs to be support staff. Like don't hire another practitioner because it doesn't solve the problem. No, it. you've got to, what we have done over the last six years is look at how we can take a role off of us. And, you know, at that point it was like the phone's ringing, we can't deal with this, we need to find an admin. And, you know, if we our next hire after that was not long. It was about um, eight months, six to eight months after that. And that was an apprentice, obviously, just to help us out. 
But yeah, just being able to take that admin side off and not actually doing the work, let us do more work. And just when you were starting it, like you were both working in the same office and I would imagine it would have been another bigger company in Perth. Mm. Like how was that exit transition like? And are they kind of like your biggest competitor now? Because I, I don't know the air conditioning industry well, but I, I wouldn't think there's 50 companies with, you know, 20 people or more working in them. Yeah, so that exit was interesting. Mark had actually, my business partner had left the company about 12 months before that and went to another company and he then left the company he'd moved to for a short period of time. So he entered the business about six months before me. Um, so I was still working and he he did a lot of the groundwork in setting up. So we didn't both just jump in. He mm-hmm. started because he was like, I'm done, I'm out of this other company. Um, yeah. And I said, you start, I'll help you, but I'll keep my foot in the door. And yeah, and after that, it just sort of like you've got to pull the plug at some point. Um, and yeah, you sort of just just jump in. And how did you manage the relationship on the exit side, knowing that you're starting a business doing the same thing? My um, previous company and pretty much the only company I've worked for um, were two business partners as well, and they were well into their fifties and you know thirty years into business. Mm. Um, and um, one of them cried and said it's like losing a son, and the other said in my exit. Um, I don't normally worry about when people leave, but I'm worried about Glenn. And that was like that, you know, sort of like it was kind of nice because it was my um, the guy who was very upset was what, the one who I worked with closely, but probably didn't realize how much he probably needed to look after me that little bit more um, to keep me in. Um, and the other one was just the the um, you know I I was had an arm's length relationship, and I think he could see that we were two ambitious guys. And, you know, we are, you know, I come against them quoting and, you know, um, we are one of their competitors now. Yeah. And like there would have been a, a decent sized team in that company and, you know, I worked in a financial planning business before I started my own financial planning business and like there's things that you learn. Like was there anything that you are not doing in the current business or doing in the current business that makes it better than the company that you're at? Does that make sense? Um, I guess like what what we're doing now is like they were at the size where, you know, they were the two owners were so far out removed to the company that there was so much middle management that they, you know, had lost touch a bit of, you know, what was happening on the ground. Whereas, you know, what I found was like I used to like, you know, you do sell air conditioners and that's what I'd still do now is you're doing a lot of selling is – what I learned when I was selling as just an employee versus as a business owner, like the pull I have, you know, as being front face, like I'm the owner, I'm here. Um, people are like, you know, people really do trust you because you're like the owner. Um, and instead of just being just another number and in, in, in a bigger company. Yeah, it's, and we can get into that because it's similar to, you know, the guy that I use to do all the, or like any property I've, or offices that I've had to put blinds in or the shutters or whatnot, I knew that Ron wasn't the cheapest, mm. but I knew he owned the company. And when he quoted the job, his employees would come out and install. And it's not one of those centralized things where they send the quote out from head office and then get contractors that come in. Like, yeah. And that was for me as an end user, really important that if there was a problem, I could pick up the phone and it would actually get sorted. And, and that's what I sort of, when I was in the big company, I thought, oh, people go with a big company because they're a big brand and they're a trusted brand. 
But I've now learned, you know, over the last five years, people actually really trust the small business owner because, you know, mm. they're dealing direct with the person, the decision maker. So just on the structure of the business, and I hope this is all right, is it? I'm just yeah. like, yeah. I just love asking heaps of questions. Oh, um, I, I love talking business, Glenn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you and your business partner have formal uh, buy-sell arrangements in place? Correct. So we have we have a director's agreement. So if... Um, any of us want to exit, There's we've got a, a lawyer draw up our agreement. It costs us about three and a half grand. And so if one of us wants to exit, sell up or whatever, there's a full agreement of a process that needs to be followed. But what we've just recently also done is um, my business partner now has a kid, 10 months old, and, um, you know, I'm not far off down the track soon enough is that we've got buy-sell insurance. So, yes. you know, if one of us dies, um, the partner doesn't have to chase the the other business partner to pay them out. The insurance yeah. company will sort it all out. You know, it's a horrible, you know, time, but there mm-hmm. won't be, you know, when can the business cough up the cash to pay out the other partner. And if there is a... Um one of you wake up and literally lose interest, mm-hmm. there's some type of notice period that there's got to be X amount of notice and then there's a buyout with a percentage rate. Is that That's right. There's to- a full, uh, there's like an 80-page document and, you know, you'd say if I've gone through it all but we sat through and talked about what we wanted in and what we didn't and we both signed it and agreed on it. So if any point one of us, yeah, does wake up in the future, you can't just leave the other one hanging out to try. There's a clear process and, the thing is, me and my business partner, I'm, you know, uh, and I'm sure we'll touch more on business partners or not business partners because um, everyone has an opinion, but um, I truly have the perfect business relationship. We never argue. We talk everything out and we let each other do what we need to do. But, you know, who says in five years' time when someone's personal circumstances change that our goals in life change and, and we go on different directions. So you've got to have those protections in place. So, you know, someone doesn't just walk out of the business and cause, you know, a lot of grief. Yeah. And that's it because it's not like, you know, because I used to do a lot of these buy-sell agreements and all that when I had my uh, financial planning business. And it's just like, that's just their worst case scenario. If there was an exit, if you woke up bored one day and things were good, or you came into some money and you're like, I really want to buy you out and it was the right time for the business partner, well, we just organize it. Yeah. And we only pull out that document if there is a breakdown in the relationship. Correct. And that, that's what it's there. It is if something really drastic happens, you can negotiate anything, you know, it's your two business owners, but it's there to protect when someone, you know, does do something that they shouldn't be or, you know, you do really have a falling out. So, mm. so just like on the whole business partner thing, and we may as well touch on it now, like I honestly think the reason that business or businesses collapse or business partners fall out, and this is just from my experience, is, and because it's what happened to me, I had a business partner once, our life stages were very different. So we were on different time clocks basically and we had different business goals. Or the second one is, two people are very similar skill sets. So one kind of isn't needed. And I think because you're doing more of the ongoing maintenance, quoting for whatever, or, and, or he might be out doing some of the bigger commercial sales or the commercial relationships, like there is that clear disconnect that we've got our own lanes and there's trust. 
Yeah, and that's it. I think you really do need two different personalities in the business. And and that, you know, goes to like I'm I'm the kind of numbers guy. I do the cash flow every every fortnight, every month. And I just take that to Mark and tell him. He doesn't ever look. He, you know, it's that trust, like I go and do that. So you have these clear different because if you're both like trawling through, you know, the cash flow, the numbers, and you know, you're all, you know, getting bogged down, you know, you you're not really being effective in the business. And I think it is important you have two different personalities and skill sets because, yeah, you, you're out there to um, achieve and do other things. It, you can't just be hitting the same mark mm. year on year. Has there been any downside? I know, I know you said you've never really fought or argued or whatever. Has there been any downsides or weird stuff that you've both kind of gone, oh, this is all good, how do we deal with this? Or have you pretty much had it good? We've pretty much had it good and um, – I just think in starting up a business, like just being able to lean on each other in the really tough couple of years starting up were really important. I just couldn't imagine having to do all that work on my own. Um, and even now, like um, I had to do, I don't do the pay runs. Mark does them every fortnight and he went away and I did it. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, my Monday was morning was blown out. And I was like, I don't like this, you know. And, you know, we both have those roles in the business where we, they just hum along because the other one's doing it. And when you kind of have to do it, you kind of figure out, oh, um, I, I think the, the, the chance of a business relationship going sour is worth having a go at a partnership because, your productivity and how much we've grown in the last six years, there's no way I could have done it on my own. And I think, and again, back, I think you touched on it, life stages. Me and me and Mark were both at the same stage. We didn't have kids. I was single at the time. He had a long-term relationship. We weren't having kids anytime soon. So in that, in those early stages, we, I think you talk about starting a business and not paying ourselves. We didn't pay ourselves for six months. And, you know, if there was one of those business partners who had a family and, you know, cost pressures, you just couldn't afford that. The other one would have been like, hey, when can we, you know, up our salary or pull some cash out of the business? Whereas we just plodded along. And in in that first two years, we had a bill to go broke and take us for 50 grand. And then a month later, COVID hit. And um, I, I tell you not, me and him were still on the tools and I was crying on the balcony of this house. And I'm, I was thinking, why am I even doing this? If I had kids in that, I probably would have thrown in the towel. I would have been too hard. Interesting. Like I was, I like these because we can talk shop. Like I was talking with someone uh, the other day and completely different business than what we're talking about. And they had a younger, we'll call it business partner or someone in the business. And I said, you need to make it clear what the actual arrangement is, whether they're, you know, are they a business partner, are they an employee or whatever? And because they're kind of friends and kind of doing this stuff. And and I said, the thing is like, you need to be extra, extra clear with all the paperwork and the guidelines, because at the end of the day, you don't want the friendship to ever suffer. And having that extra layer of clarity will really protect you. And particularly with some people and some personality types, like you were single at the time, right? If you weren't maybe as headstrong or I don't know, you could have been influenced by the new partner in your life to have someone in your ear saying, oh, he's taking you on a ride or he's doing this. And that person doesn't know the full side of the story. They just hear it from you. So I think it is really important, particularly 
as we, you know, us younger people, which I probably can't say anymore, but whatever, are starting life and starting businesses, you've got to really be very clear and particularly if there are friends involved to have extra clarity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it just if everyone knows what the rules are, essentially, you can't bend or break them. And, and yeah, you, those external pressures, like I think what you sort of like I'm thinking is like in trade businesses, you see a lot of, you know, girlfriends or wives step in, right? And I, you know, I see a lot of pressures on that when, you know, family members enter the business that is potentially already established or is that's how a lot of tradies, you know, that's where they start. They, you know, that's where they get their first admin. It's a partner to help them. I, I know Alicia would probably never step into the business nor want to. And I, I don't think I'd, I like coming home at the end of the day and, and being able to tell her about my day and not her being like, well, you know, little Johnny is probably getting paid too much. Like, <laughs> mm. um, and just on that, how do you guys do it? Because what I was thinking of, because I've coached businesses with similar situations to people, kind of the partners, the, uh, the wives have worked in the business and I'm like, no, no, no. They just literally need to rock up with the employee hat on, get paid an hourly rate for the jobs they do and then leave because any profit in the business, they'll benefit from anyway from being an owner. So do you guys just draw a market rates salary or just 100 grand each and take quarterly profit? Like how do you guys do that out of the company? So we have always staged our salary. So, you know, six months in, no salary. After that, I think we start ourselves on 40,000 and just kept building the capital. And then we just staggered our salary up. And we've actually never taken a dividend or structure our payments through dividends, through quarterly dividends. We've actually just increased our salary depending on the flow of cash flow. And we've really nailed our cash flow down now that, again, we still haven't paid a dividend, but we've kind of essentially topped out our salary as, as you know, tax efficiencies. And yeah. it's just sitting on that while we play our next move. Um, we've, we've been, again, very agreeable that we've left a lot of cash and capital in our business to help it grow um, and not be greedy. Yeah, and that's it. Like, if because it, when you're a, when we're in small business, like we've got personal budgets that have to be fed, right? And so we need that consistent income, but we also need to leave that retained earnings in the business to reinvest back in and buy trucks and buy tools and have those cash buffers. Do you, what's your view on, or do you guys at the moment? Because you know you've just I would say five and a half six years in business. You're now officially established um, in terms of data. Like there is very minimal risk of you collapsing now because that, that first five years is, you know, up to 80% people not surviving. Do you guys have targets of like, and you don't have to tell me any numbers, of course, but like we have this amount of cash at all times because if it dries up for a couple of weeks, the reason for living is for payroll. Yeah, so we have what we call our rainy day fund. It's in a separate um, account. So that's separate to our just transactional account for the business. So that sits there. And, you know, at times like our winter's our struggle period, right? You know, you know. so we, we chucked a bit more cash back in from that rainy day fund and now we've put it back in leading and we had a good winter. Um, and we also have an agreement of personally, if we both agree that the shit's hit the fan, that we've got to put in the next amount of capital or um, reduce our salary at a period of time um, to manage that. But yeah, the, the cash buffer has been amazing. Mm. I mean, that's funny. It's like 
we both agree that we both need to put. I mean, that would have to be mission critical. Mission critical, yeah. Like, and that's like horrendous. Got, yeah. That was like sort of an agreement before we had built up our full cash buffer, but now we have our sort of um, yeah. what we call about three to four months of like overheads if you know, the business stopped like COVID again. Um, we have that in the bank and you can pull levers, right? Like, unfortunately, like, you know, it might be letting some staff go and paying them out and that kind of thing, dropping our salaries. But at the moment, we've got enough, you know, and I think it's so important. I I think a lot of business owners and, I, and going back to like business partners versus single owners, like we're accountable to each other. So I can't just be like, hey, oh, you know, I'm going to pull 20 grand out of the business um, this quarter because I want to go and do this. Like that just doesn't happen because like it's, you know, you either both do it or um, it, it doesn't happen. So. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I would imagine traditionally speaking, you would get to the stage, even if it's next financial year, where we're both drawing X amount and because the business is established and we don't, and I will ask you about your growth plans, but I was like, yeah, we're, we're pretty happy just to cruise how it is and just accrue cash. It might get to the point where we, every quarter we have a look or we've just come out of a really good summer run. Oh, there's an extra hundred grand in there. Should we take 50 each as a dividend? Yeah, yeah. let's do that. Or yeah, I don't know. And that, and that's like what we're, we know, that's, I think, you know, each stage I'm like, oh, it's nice to be on this salary now. I'm like, I'm, you know, living a very comfortable wage and salary. Mm. Um, but I'm looking forward to being able to, you know, in the next couple of years, we can have those like dividend payments out to, I still haven't bought a home yet. You know, I'm, we're working towards that. So I can really fast track that as well. Mm. Um, but we've both been on this really like joint, we're growing, we need the capital, let's keep going that mentality and not lose that focus on like, oh, I could use some bit, a, bit, a little bit more cash at the moment. So how many employees have you got, including both of you? So including the two of us, there's 15. Yeah. Um, and then we've got contractors as well, subcontractors we employ. Yeah. And the contractors, is that just cyclical if we have a run of work or you know, you mentioned the not electrical thing. Do you have electrician yeah, contractors? Yeah, so I've got um, an electrical contractor who has three teams and I, I'm probably about a third of their work. Um, so we yep. give them a substantial amount of work. And then I've got two single contractors and one does three days a week for us and the other is is moving up to doing three to four days a week now. So Yeah. And in terms of, you know, 13 employees, is that six dudes or gals with a truck and an apprentice or what's the hierarchy type or yeah so there's three 11, in an office or 11 guys on the road yep. and two admin staff and the 11 on the road is it how many trucks between them um there are there are 10 trucks between them yeah so you've so, got 10 per people and one with an apprentice or one yeah, with Yeah, so there's six two. tradesmen and f- yep. um, five apprentices. Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. And when you employ someone, you'd obviously, what are your rules around, you know, when you furnish the, the car, mm-hmm. um, company car, do they have to pick it up from the depot or can they take it home and use it? Like what's that? Yeah, so they all take their um, work vehicles home, yeah. Yeah, and as a business, have you resolved that we borrow money for those type of equipment, that Correct. type of equipment, yeah? Yeah, like pretty much all but um, two cars are financed. Yeah. What's your view on like longer term with debt and cash flow? Because it does, 
really like you'd probably have a stroke every time you saw how much your cash flow is oh, getting like paid I look at to. my you know look at my finance bill of all my vehicles mm. um it's you know it must be upwards of like 70 80k a year more probably and we we actually made a decision because like as we grew we wanted some you know we had a couple of older cars and then we bought like a new car and then with covid I think our hand was pretty much force. Like the used car market was horrendous. And, um, so we, so we just made a plan of we just actually, um, we've got a lot of Toyota hiases. So I just kept an order in with the local Toyota dealership. And, you know, we just kept putting orders in and lo and behold, when they would turn up, we needed them. And, you know, we've made that a long term financial capital outlay because. They're all brand new vans. We expect to get hopefully a long period out of them that, you know, after the four plus years, you know, we'll own it. And then, you know, that, you know, so hopefully in the next three to four years, we'll be in this place where we won't have all these finance payments coming out and we'll enter that next phase of the business. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask. Like when you do the finance, do you do a four year in balloon or just a straight five with no balloon? How do four, you? Four year with balloon and the option yeah. to give Toyota the car back if we if right. we want to. Yeah, but I, I mean those high aces like over four years, you'd probably what do two hundred k's? Do you think? Um, so no, we're in the four years we've got them at about one twenty, one thirty. Um, oh, perfect. It, d- depending, and you know the rate that all the cars that I've bought are worth more than what I paid for them. You mm. know, it's just a crazy market. And, you know, that may not last. I can't, you know, rely on that. But mm. um, we just made a decision that, you know, we every time we went to look for an older car, we we're like, well, if we spend another ten grand, we get a brand new one. Yeah, and you get it now, yeah. and and yeah, and that's like because I'm just kind of chewing the fat with you. Like, obviously, you're switched on and you run your own business, but like, do you get to the point where you know, at the end of the four years? A truck with 150Ks on is still a boy, right? Like if it's looked after, like those Toyotas, they'll do 500 if you look after them. Like would you get to the point where it's just like, as you said, we own them, we pay a little, you know, balloon off or whatever and then it's almost like we have this asset pool and we just slowly save up 80 grand. I don't even know how much they are. How much are they? Um, a high ace, like it's about just over 50 grand and then it costs us another eight grand to fit out. So Yeah, so 60. call it 60 grand, yeah. you know, every now and again you rotate out a car or you keep one just for a spare while one's off the road getting serviced and you kind of have this asset replacement thing happening where you just cash flow it all. And, and that's the long-term plan that we made that decision that we've staggered all these new cars over the last three or four years that mm. when they're coming up, you know, wherever the business is, it's like, you know, we can be like, oh, let's sell it or, you know, this is a, you know, we hold on to it and it's still a good car that will give us another five years hopefully. And the thing is like next pandemic or, you know, next <laughs> thing, I just know that debt will flush a business. Mm. And the cash flow. So I think it's really great that you are thinking strategically in that regard. And I think, you know, like just buying cars. I remember someone like I, and I'm sure we'll touch on this, a business coach. My business coach, when I first met her, is like vehicles and assets, just finance them um, because you can always sell them. But once you buy them and, you know, you pay that cash up front, that's going to just hurt your cash flow and just push those, you know, your, our biggest, our biggest overhead 
you know, is is one wages, but then vehicles second. And if we can, you know, help that cash flow situation in the early years while we get established, it was a no-brainer. Yeah, that's right. And I get that in the early years uh, because if you don't have the money, you don't have the money and it's basically a tool. Like it's a it's a moving office, basically. Mm. You're spending 80 grand a year for an office that's on the road. But like I think you once you are established – I don't think you can say it's a cash flow thing because it's now a balance sheet thing, isn't it? Mm, Yeah, that's right. But anyway, that's cool. Um, Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and I want to talk about a couple of pain points and uh, we'll go from there. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Okay, we're back. Any pain points that you've got in the business at the moment or things that you're trying to grapple and work out? I think as I've grown slowly, you know, it's been very slow, you know, well, some would say it's fast. In three years, I've gone from, you know, one or two employees now to 13. And with that early on, I wasn't having to do too much HR. I'd still have to onboard people, but I was on the ground with people and, you know, um, HR wasn't really an, an issue. But now what I'm finding is um, HR is really chewing up a, a lot of my time and, you know, it's good and bad. Like it's um, one that I'm, you know, I'm still trying to catch up and manage people and keep make sure they're happy. But on the other side, like I've had to do a few conflict resolutions and, and those sorts of things. And I've really looked at the last three months particularly and seen how much time it's taken of my, you know, time in the business managing people um, and, and seeing what I can do about that. And, and again, not, you know, I'm not going to go employ a full-time HR person, but I'm, I'm looking at external help. Yeah. And I think, I reckon if you haven't reached out to anyone, chat with Shell from the Career Podcast. Yeah. Like yeah. she totally, like she's helped a heap of businesses. And I think it goes back to like, do you think your team are on board with the culture and the vibe and what you're about? Like, and obviously- you can't shat can your staff, but like in <laughs> principle, <laughs> like do you think the team culture is good? I would say in principle it's good. So yeah. in in the six years I haven't lost a staff member. So everyone I've onboarded is still with me. So yeah, that's um, awesome. 
And, you know, I believe I'm just at that point now where it could turn if I don't keep, you know, it front of mind. And I think that's what happens in a small business that sort of moves in from that small startup to a, a small to medium and the, the business owner sort of taps out a bit. And I'm really being mindful of that, that I really want my team to have my vision and, and, and my support and, and, um, know that I'm there, but, You've got to be proactive and that's what I'm really trying to focus on in the next, you know, six to 12 months. And I think what, and I'll just speak freely, like the how I benefited from Shell was like I got everyone in and just day session and literally, you know, you can't be there as an owner and be Michael Scott and try and like run the thing, but you let that third party facilitate a thing so you can actually know and I think even she sent everyone a, an anonymous kind of survey before just to actually get a real read. But I mean, for you, this fact that your, your retention is so good, that's a very healthy sign anyway. But I think you're right. It's just like, if you're not finger on the pulse and actually know what's going on in the, on the ground, that could get away from you. And, and it was like, it was, you know, my staff are not in an office, right? I have some admin who I can keep across, but field staff are very hard. And that's what you know, a couple of months happened, you know, two employees had a disagreement on site that, you know, nearly ended in an altercation. And, and, and that was the wake up call I needed to be like, because everything for, for years had been perfect. The guys got along, you know, socialized together. And, you know, this was the first thing that, okay, you know, something's happened. I need to make sure that we don't lose, you know, lose the team. And, you know, because it only takes one or two people to become unhappy. And it's like, it spreads like um, a virus through the, the team. And it's not only that, like, so I was, um, oh, what was it? I, th- I think I've shared this on a podcast before, but, you know, I, I had a tradie, young guy who I kind of knew in my circles come and um, fix a switch in my apartment, right? Or put another PowerPoint in because I think they actually forgot to put a PowerPoint behind the, the lounge. So, like, literally, I'm just like, all you need to do, open the one on the, the kitchen it was a frame and then it's, um, the prefab was behind it. So just yellow tongue it down and, you know. Surprised you anyway. didn't have a go. Well, I know. <laughs> I, I, I think the only reason I didn't is because I didn't have a yellow tongue. <laughs> and I'm like, and it just speaks to that quality control and how you can ensure that the customer has a good experience because Glenn isn't there. Like it's a J-O-B for them, mm. you, it's everything. Yeah. And like little thing, and he was a younger dude and I'm like, yeah, I just need it there, 300. And it's so funny. I felt like pretty bad, but I'm just like, if I'm in the room while you're doing this, so he's like, oh yeah, he goes, he goes to grab the hole saw or like the jib rock saw, mm. cut a plate out. I'm like, dude, like would logic say, open that PowerPoint first run the yellow tongue, let's just see and confirm that we can actually get it down here. Like Before cutting the hole. <laughs> before we cut a hole and then we can't get there because yeah. it's... And then like, <laughs> I hope he's not listening, but I love you uh, and I hope you learn from this, mate. And then he like put the PowerPoint back on the bench and I'm like, dude, it's not level. He's like, oh. I'm like, where's your level? Oh, it's over. Like, oh yeah, you're right, it's not level. And I'm like, also... It's white walls. Your filthy fingerprints are all around this. I'm just like, I, I'm not ever having you work on my place again because it's those one percenters. Mm. Give me the 
best electrician in the world. But if you're sloppy and you don't clean up and it's not a good customer experience, because I can, I'm ranting now, go with me, Glenn. <laughs> no, I'm, I can guarantee I'm, I'm, you, I'm, I can guarantee you. you, you will get a referral from someone if you're on time, you're clean, you're polite, and you look after the one percenters. They'll go, oh, had the best air conditioner guy. They were on time. They cleaned up. They were really polite. You could be the best air conditioner installation person on the planet, but if you're dirty, you don't clean up, you don't bother with a level, who cares? And that's what I was taught from my previous boss. Um, You know, know, half the job is actually doing the job. The other half is communicating and, and being respectful and tidy. And because, you know, when you walk out the door, you know, I tell my guys and I, you know, I have that same mentality. I'm like, they don't see you terminate that wire perfectly or hang that duct perfectly. They see the piece of dirt on the ground. And, you know, and it's like that in any business. Like you got to look at, always look at it from the customer's per, per, um, perception about what you can do better and, you know, and and their view on things because whatever skill you have is is only as good as how you deliver to your customer. And that is like, it's like what I've learned you know, year on year is just really giving detail to people because, you know, every client's different, every person's different. They'll look at your quote differently, you know, your follow-up differently. I had a client recently question why I charged a merchant fee when she wanted to pay on my credit card. And I was like, because I paid that, it's, you know, it's not built into my price. If And, you know, I, I hadn't experienced that in, a, in you know, a while. And I, I end up wearing the, the merchant fee because I was like, look, I don't want, you know, you're very happy with me, but I don't want this mm. to sour the, the end products. You know, I'll take that on board. And now on every quote, it says, if you want to pay by credit card, there's a merchant fee. Yeah, And you take those little things. All these one percenters make you an awesome business person. And yeah. I'm just so vocal on, you know, client experience from yeah. the very get-go. And that's all like, that matters in the end. Like they, they're, they're always right um, and you've just got to manage your processes and, and the business around it. So how do you get new customers? So um, from the beginning, we invested in a um, digital marketing company to help us with, with Google Ads but also build mm. our SEO. And, yeah, just to touch back on the start of our business, we actually from the first year actually went to like a business no, what do you call it? it? It was caught in Perth. It's called WA Leaders, and that is actually Australia wide. And it's a, a forum of like once a month you go to the, the group for a day, and um, you go and learn. They have um, speakers on topics like marketing. It might be finance, mm. and so we went to these, and you know we met a digital marketing company who have been really good. We're still with them, um, and we pay them a monthly fee, and they've built our SEO, so our. Um, organic search engine um, online. Um, but in the early days, we, we used a lot of Google ads to be top of the line. So when people are t- keying in Perth air conditioning, we're, f- we're top. But now we, we pretty much, we do, f- you know, organically come up the top organically. We still use Google ads as a mm. top up, but, you know, we've built up our SEO over a period of five years. And I think that's the hardest thing. I talk to a lot of new business owners. People want something quick. You know, that yeah. took a couple of years to really get to the point where we are now. So um, do you think that fee that you pay them, it wipes its face, it pays for itself? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. More so. Like it's, um, you know, it's a core, just for our business, like a core group of us, um, core group of our business is residential 
what we call Mrs. Jones, you know, people with existing homes um, and they want to upgrade their air conditioning and that's a core bit of our business. So question, you say it gets quieter in winter. Mm -hmm. Like how do you keep the boys busy on the road and the money coming in? So we encourage them to take holidays that time of year, so six months of the year. So um, that's one thing. So, you know, over the winter period, you know, we encourage them the holidays. We don't actually really allow them to take leave over the summer period, except we do shut down for the Christmas break. Um, so that's one thing to manage workload. You, you have guys on leave. But the other thing is um, we, we do get a bit of work through heating, but what we did last year is we had a project come on, on board, like a bigger project that we sought out and, and positioned it to, to run for about two and a half months over the winter period that, you know, was that like a commercial? Flow. Yeah, it was a commercial project. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and it's hard because, you know, some winters are busier than others depending on how cold it is. Um, but yeah, like it can get pretty quiet. Um, and, and the thing is with the business model is, is you've got to have enough cash to get through that, that winter period because you will burn cash in, in some months. Like spitballing, like, do you have a CRM or anything like that? Yeah, so we obviously use Xero as our accounting package, but we use a yeah. program called Simpro, which is a pretty common trade-based um, software system. Would you ever do stuff like, you know, we are recording this, you know, start of October. Would you ever do stuff the month before, and you might, I'm just thinking like, hey, it's about to get hot, you've already got an air conditioner, Um please check it's working now and let us know so we can come and get there before you have to wait a week or, hey, if you haven't had someone look over the air conditioner, we charge, you know, $150 an hour. I don't know, like just to try and get some of that engagement and then go for the referral business. And We have been building that year on year because we've only implemented this um, in the last 12 months, but we, mm. we did a big email out to our client base offering discounted service rates in our quiet period. Yeah, to get awesome. people thinking. But again, human nature, you know, a day like today in Perth, it's I think 35, the first hot day and, you know, the phone starts ringing because people start yeah. thinking about it. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's hard because it's sort of we do get a lot of people and, and I've found people more recently have been more proactive because I think there's been a lot in the media about, you know, the world's burning, you know, it's getting hot mm. and people know that, you know, they if they call us in the, you know, middle of December we're, you're not, probably not going to say it's till January. So. so the air conditioner systems in Perth, because it's a drier heat, they're the like humidifier things, aren't they? Or Evaporative? No. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of evaporative air cons in Perth, but that's probably a core, well, we that's a core of our business. We're ripping them out. Perth is getting a little bit more humid at the back end of summer um, and right. people people are getting a bit more, you know, wanting a bit more comfort because, you know, it's not temperature controlled, it's all... It's evaporating water into the air, right? You know, it's yeah. um, hot and humid air. So, mm. um, any other kind of pain points that you're working through in our finishing time? It was probably just um, cash flow. Um, yeah. It's been pretty tough the last couple of years with stock availability. You know, mm. shipping. Um, our a lot of our um, manufacturers have had short of stock. So you know, if we don't have equipment to install, that's you know, it's horrible. So we've um, we actually extended our warehouse. We um, leased their warehouse behind us, 
um, and cut a hole in it um, so we could hold more stock. And, you know, so we've had to wear that cost and we've tried to build that in and we're building that into our pricing to keep it competitive. If someone does, for whatever reason, we can't get a unit, we've got alternates to just turn up and put an air conditioner in. Um, Do you have a go-to brand that you guys prefer and work with? Yeah, so our first brand is um, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, which, um, you know, they're our number one, and then Dakin, which most people will know as well. Yeah. Um, those are the two, our, two of our top brands we use. That's interesting because that's different than Mitsubishi, isn't it? Like there's two electric, kind of brands. Yeah, so Mitsubishi yeah. Electric. So, that you know, there is a confusion in that. You know, they are two different companies, um, yeah. but they were born off a long time ago from the same business, both Japanese companies. Yeah, the um, when I had the ducted system put in my office that I fit out, it was Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, and the guys like, yeah, these these are rock solid, and um, all the splits that I've had put in homes and prop rental properties and all that's all been um, Mitsubishi. Yeah, and that's you know um, that's sort of like we've, you know you pick your brand and the relationships you build, um, like anything you've got to sort of run with a couple of them. You can't sort of spread thin on all of them, otherwise. You but know, it's like it's what's good for the geese is good for the gander. Like if you know if you've mainly used Mitsubishi and you're a, move a lot of those units. At the end of the day, if there's a problem, you'll be able to sort it out because of your relationships with the Mitsubishi. Yeah, I can right? pick up the phone to the state manager and be like, "Hey, what's going on?" Whereas, you know, if I'm um, and and it's buying power as well, so we get bigger discounts for the more stock we buy. So it's in our interest to you know have a single or two brands that we push, so we can. I've I've really over the last um, couple of years driven down our cost of goods. And we're a heavy cost of goods type of trade. You know, air conditioning equipment is very expensive. So over the last couple of years, I've been able to drop that by about 6%, um, which is huge on our bottom end. Mm. So, um, I've got some questions out of curiosity. So the workshop, do you guys own that or rent it? So we, yeah, we rent. So, yeah. but um, I am um, meeting a... Um, self-managed super fund expert from my accounting firm um, to talk about planning our um, our future of buying a premise. So, mm. would you both um, be members of the super fund and just combine both your super? Yeah, that's the plan. So or we're all four basically. Yeah, so <laughs> we're we're both um, we're putting extra money into our super at the moment of of you know, hopefully a two to five year plan of you know purchasing a premise to to um, work out of um, mm, be- mm. because, you know, again, I've learned a lot through finance podcasts and, and yours and, um, you know, done a lot of digging and, and we've got a mechanic next door and he's, you know, in his 50s and he's like, just buy your premise. <laughs> so what he keeps telling Oh, me. yeah, it's, it's actually, it's, it really is a no-brainer. I, I'm probably a bit against it if you're within that first three to five years and not past that establishment hump, but... If you're established and get, see, the things that can happen, people run out, they buy the premises. One, it's too big and they waste too much money and it flushes them. Two, it's too small and they've got to move and then can't sell it or whatever. Or, yeah, like, and or three, it's like, friggin' forget the property, work out what location you want it. And also, you're in the X business, not in the property business at the moment. So I think the shoe absolutely fits for you guys to get that. Um, property in the super fund. Now ask the accountants and and I know some will and some won't, but you can actually buy property uh, in a unit trust and have the super fund and personal names owning units. Some accountants won't do it because their interpretation is uh, it's too gray, but you could ask the question. 
or yeah, and because then what you got to think about is you've got that other issue with if then one of you dies, their super member benefit balance needs to be paid out. So you just need to have some protections within the fund for that as well. Yeah, yeah. So no, I'm looking forward to learning a bit more next week when we have our meeting because um yeah, it's, it's just in the planning phase. We're not gonna. I think. How we've done it is we don't need jerk reaction. You know, we plan everything out and get the information before you sink any any money into anything. Because I think people, um, I think it's so easy to just get emotional and just be like, "This is where we're going, and this is what we're doing." And again, I, we haven't really touched on, but I have a business coach, um, and I highly recommend um, having a business coach because it keeps me accountable. But it's all about planning. Like if you plan, you know, we plan the next one year, two year, five years, and we're planning exit strategy as well. You just can't get it wrong. Well, it's less likely to go wrong for you. So a couple of things in finishing, I like I've got some legitimate questions. So a lot of us, the aircon dudes over here also carry their electrical license. Yeah. So um, we have restricted licenses in Western Australia. So I'm a, I'm a refrigeration air conditioning mechanic with a restricted electrical but electricians um, and also on the um, east coast what happens is electricians get a restricted like air conditioning license but the problem is they flood themselves into the market and do stuff they shouldn't do um, and that's you know it's a big problem in our industry but you know there's not a lot people have tried to campaign the government and policy but electricians just say they come and uh, technically they're not allowed to service air conditioners because they're not allowed to, you know, they're not qualified. They can just install them. And that's really what, what happens. So you contract all the electrical work you are saying? Correct. Yes. So is it in your plans to either buy that business or start your own and call it Perth City Air and Electrical or something like that? Look, I would se- never say no, but at this stage, it's not in the plan. We yeah. we have a plan to, we're starting to look at a bit further on to scale the business. And, you know, that's definitely an option, but I would need a electrical contractor's license un- to work under. That That's a big thing. I need someone's actual contractor's license, which I don't have. Right. Yeah. yeah so okay. like sign But off, if you found, yeah. Yeah, if I could, and that's a little, you know, you see all these services companies now, um, right, like they've got an electrical license, a plumbing license. They've mm. found those licenses and, and paid for them and, and got them in the business to, to run their business mm. under that. So that's an option. And that's the whole thing. It's like it goes back to, I always like go back to, and my staff are sick of me saying this thing. It's like core business. What's our core business? We're good at podcasts. We do podcasts. Like, we, it's just that distraction. Like, core business. We do air conditioning. We are awesome at it. Mm. And if we need electrical, we get it done. And yeah. do you clip tickets or just pass on the cost? Like, do you invoice the client for all of that or does the electrical invoice separately? No, no. So it's all under my quote. So I like all inclusive. Like, so when I give yeah, a cool. quote to a client, they, yeah. they, it's all, you know, they're not having to pay the same. And I guess if you can clip it a little bit, you're carrying less risk anyway. I guess. Yeah, well, that's how, like, you know, for me to operate a business, like, I have to mark everything up. I have to, you know, totally. create a profitable business. And, you know, part of that is, you know, marking up the electrician. I have to organize and schedule them. And, you know, that that's just part of, you know. And people really like to, you know, there is that old school sort of what is different between sort of like a plumber coming out and changing a tap and you looking at a line of labor and the parts is with air conditioning, there's so many moving parts in that. 
that, you know, I'm not going to give you a breakdown of the the labor and then all the different parts and you know because then I'll you would see the admin costs which people just don't see like it's so to to run a project for a couple of days or a day or you know a week um, people don't want to see the markup you've got to put on to make a profitable business. What percentage of your revenue would you say is domestic versus commercial industrial? So we're probably about seventy percent resi and thirty yeah, cool. percent um, commercial. So, and how are you looking at getting other streams of income and scaling up? Um, is employing the right people. Um, yeah. you know, I'm I've obviously know people in the industry, and I'm you know, I've been talking to guys and I'd like have beers with them, like, you're going to come and work for me one day, you know. You're oh, doing- you know, like, yeah, Rach, who produces his podcast, I met her once and then hired her. I don't even like, I just knew I'm like, you're awesome. Like, I, I haven't seen a resume ever, it was literally like, she's great, come and. Like you're it, like, and that's yeah. what it is. Just knowing people, the right people to just bring into your business to help grow, and 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 you know, in the future we could. You look at building a team, and then you know, if you get the right person, you look at a profit share, or you know, giving some buy-in to you know, get them really driving the business as well for you. You can't do it all yourself. You you really do need help on the way. No, and that's kind of like I'm kind of in the same things. Like, what do I do next? Do I go to town further, I've toyed with like, oh, do I bring a GM in and, you know, I don't know because we're kind of at the same age in terms of our business and, yeah. Well, I've loved chatting with you um, and I hope everyone who's been listening has been really encouraged. If they've got a business, you've picked up some best practice ideas because I think everything Glenn and the team are doing at Perth City Air, everyone, if you're in Perth, and you need some city air, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the coolest guys in Perth. Yeah, you've got to get, <laughs> you've got to get Glenn and the team from Perth City Air to fix your aircon. Well, you don't really fix them; you piss them off and replace them. But whatever, you get Perth City Air to hook you up because they will hook you up. So yeah, we've covered a lot of ground. I've really enjoyed chatting with you because I just love talking shop and. I think the thing is behind these business podcasts that I want to do is for people listening to go, huh, I run a hairdressing salon and they're doing something with Perth City Air. I reckon I could do that or because the concepts and the principles are the same, right? They really are. And, you know, it's it, they're all business. Like, you know, you employ people to do a, a product or a service and, you know, um, yeah, they're never too dissimilar. Mm. Now, is there anything that you want to finish on? Any comments or bring it home with something? If you're thinking about starting a business, just do like do it, but plan it. Like mm. jump in and do it, but make sure you do set up a plan before you jump in and and just go head first. Yeah, I I could not agree more. Actually, one I keep saying the last question because I'm just. I could talk business and shop for freaking hours. So could I, Glenn. (laughs) And that's why I'm like, I'm doing this business podcast again, just because I enjoy it. And, you know, I put it on LinkedIn the other day and I'm like, anyone want to come on? And all these financial advisors are like, I'll come on. I'm like, nah, I'm sick of talking to money people. I want to talk to like businesses, service business, trades and all that stuff. Would you, if you had a magic wand and you turned back time, would you do anything different and why? I guess the only thing I'd do different is I've been on my own personal um, money journey with the business. I was I was a spender before I started the business. I had some personal debt, and I, you know, 
I think I wasn't 100% prepared when I started the business. And I think, again, I would have maybe learned a few more things before starting the business um, because I kind of was terrible at managing money, really. But since starting the business, I'm like, you know, watching every dollar, looking at spreadsheets, looking at P&Ls, looking at cash summaries. And I'm like, that's really now translated to my personal finance space as well. I would say get your personal finances in in into train before you really start a business because, you know, what I've seen in business is the people who have terrible personal finances are terrible at managing their, um, you know, business finances. And what usually happens is if your personal situation is a sham, you'll start to do desperate and dumb things in the business and that never Correct. ends well. No, it, and it will just impact your business. So, yeah, yeah. maybe tip. Tip one is get your finance, personal finances in, in place before jumping into starting a business. Love it. All right, you can find Glenn online at Glenn Smith. And is that what you, what's your Instagram? Give us your personal and your um, Perth City one. Uh, Glenn with a double N, Smith87. And um, yeah, Perth underscore City underscore Air for the work one. Yeah, we'll leave it there, everyone. Thanks for listening. My name's Glenn James. This is Glenn Smith. It's Glenn Squared, baby. Bye. <laughs> Bye. We acknowledge the Awabaku people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 